I'll be reading our passage today from Isaiah 55. If you haven't got a Bible with you, please do take a moment to grab one from our back table over there. It has been moved slightly. Um, and follow along while you're finding your place. Um, if there is anyone, I, I love to encourage people to read God's word. And it's something um, God has given me a passion for. And if there's anyone who would like to join me in reading through the Bible in this coming year, um, I follow a reading plan that people can um, join in on. You just use your phone. Um, you can use your Bible along with it. Um, but yeah, if you want to join me on that, please see me after the service um, because it's, it's a great way of um, getting to know God's word and, and seeing the big picture. So, our verse today, Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely, you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will par freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Thank you. Before we turn to Isaiah 55, let's seek the Lord's help because we really do need his understanding of his word. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And we pray that that word might be a fresh revelation to our hearts today. Quiet us, open us up to new things, help us to receive from your rich hand. We pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever been promised something that is basically too good to be true? When I was probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, um, my grandfather said to me, do you know that I can crawl into a bottle? I said, no, you can't crawl into a bottle. He said, yes, I can, I can crawl into a bottle. I said, all right, show me. And he said, I can only do it at night, after we've had dinner. And he said this about nine o'clock in the morning. For a five-year-old, oh, it was like waiting all day. I had pictures. We called him Far, Grandfather, you know, Far. I had pictures of Far squeezed inside this bottle, and me blowing raspberries in it and twirling it around and making him giddy and all kinds of things. I couldn't wait for Far to get inside this bottle. Anyway, uh, dinner time came. I scoffed mine down. Uh, I was waiting for everybody to finish. It seemed to take forever. And then the big time came. And I said, right, Far, you've got to crawl into this bottle for me. And he, put, he went, went into the lounge room, put an old empty milk bottle. I don't know if anybody can remember those. There used to be a day when there weren't milk cartons or, or plastic bottles. There was actually glass bottles. So he, he put this empty milk bottle in the lounge room and then he went outside the lounge room into the hallway. Now, I'm going to picture it to you. So here's the bottle, right? Now, that's got water in it, but that one was empty. So he got on his hands and knees. I said, but you're not inside the bottle. And he said, I crawled in to the bottle. And I said, oh, no, I've waited all day for that. The, the realisation of the difference between one word into and two words into dawned on me. And I thought, oh. From that day to this, I've been wary of promises. I've been wary of people who say things. I want to investigate the meaning of things and understand what it's all about. So you can imagine the devastation. He was beaming triumphant and I'm thinking, he's not in the bottle, I can't twirl him around, I can't get him giddy. But I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 55 because it opens up the depth of God's generosity to us in a way that is so rich and it's so honest and so true. There's no catches. There's no tricks. There's no hidden meanings here. It's plain and clear. So if we could just put up slide one. 
this is going to be how I approach it. The first three verses, we'll look at an amazing invitation. And then God's amazing invitation comes with a promise in verses 4 to 7. And then God's invitation, backed by his promise, is made effective by his word coming down from heaven. Verses 8 to 13. So that gives you a picture of where we're going. So first, the amazing invitation. Now listen to the amazing invitation in verses 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread? and your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Now, the word come occurs five times, and the word listen three times. So the emphasis is on coming more than just listening. You can listen and not come. But it begins, in order to come, you have to hear. And the issue is, the, the message is going out, come, listen to what I have to say, but when you've heard, act on it. Do something about it. Come. It's an active word. It's come to the waters. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, what does that mean? How do you buy things like water or wine and milk and honey and bread? Well, in one sense, the statement is an oxymoron, isn't it? Because the, the irony adds to the impact of this, this statement. The statement is built on the idea that usually we have to buy commodities from a shop or a market. We don't just get them for nothing. You, groceries don't just turn up on your doorstep. Or if they do, if Coles or Woolies have done a delivery to you, it's because you've paid for them. But this says, come to me and receive freely what you normally have to pay for. Come to me and you will receive freely what you normally have to pay for is how we could paraphrase it. A couple of weeks ago there was a, a good news TV item about an anonymous person in a Melbourne shopping centre who'd walked into the lay-by department and paid off everybody's lay-by and then walked out. They didn't want any recognition. They didn't uh, make any fanfare about it. And so people were coming into the lay-by department to pay off their lay-bys for Christmas and they were told, no, it's all paid for. And they're saying, no, no, I, I haven't paid for it. And they're saying, it's been paid for you. And they were interviewing people on TV about it who were just gobsmacked that somebody had gone in and paid off their lay-by. Now, that's the kind of message that's coming through. There's no cost for us, but we have to come to whoever him is in order to receive. 
So to best appreciate the enormous extent of God's invitation here, the breadth of his generosity in Isaiah 55, some background information will be helpful. If we can just put up the, the next slide. Don't be dazzled by the information because it, it's really quite simple. We know from Isaiah 1.1, the very first verse in the book, that Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four kings. So these are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Jerusalem. It's very specific. During the reigns of those four kings. Now those four kings reigned roughly from 792 to 686 BC, a bit over 100 years. Now Isaiah wasn't necessarily alive all that time, but the tail end of one to the beginning of the other, right through, to the, through those four, a period of 100 plus years. Now if you divide it by four, that's an average of roughly 26, 27 years per reign, a lot longer than Aussie prime ministers normally serve their terms. Isaiah prophesied when Judah and Jerusalem would be in captivity in Babylon, and here's the rub, that was another 80 or 150 years after the death of the last king, Hezekiah. So he's prophesying during the reigns of these four kings, but much of what he has to talk about concerns their time about captivity in Babylon, which would be still future, another 70 years or so until it happened, 80 years until it happened, and then there's 70 years in captivity. So, for instance, Isaiah prophesies about a king called Cyrus in Isaiah 45, names him King Cyrus, and King Cyrus wasn't even born. And Isaiah and King Cyrus didn't get to clap eyes on each other. They, they didn't live at the same time. Many people have thought that Isaiah's predictions are so accurate that it couldn't possibly humanly be, so they suppose that there was a second and a third Isaiah who wrote the different parts of the book. But he didn't only prophesy about Cyrus by name, he prophesied about the birth of Christ 700 years later. And some of the things that the book of Isaiah talks about, the wolf lying down with the lamb, and etc., concerns things that haven't happened yet. They're, they're still to come at the end of human history. And this guy is prophesying 700 BC under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah speaks about my servant in Isaiah 42 in a way that the only way we can understand what he's referring to is it must refer to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So, and this is the one that is referred to in Isaiah 55, the chapter we just heard read, when we hear in verses 4 and 5, See, I have made him. Who is this him? 
It's the servant of the Lord, a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. And finally, Isaiah shows us that the promise given to David is fulfilled in Jesus and is for Jews and Gentiles who believe. Now, today we tend to take that for granted. It's hard to to convey the depth of um, how strange and almost immoral that would have fallen on the ears of a Jew. The promises of David were given to King David. I will make you a house. You will have a son. He will reign on the throne of David forever and ever. That's a Jewish thing. But Isaiah, in this chapter, is making it plain and clear, all who come, all who come to him, the one who will be born and drink, can inherit the promises of David. Now, we just need to let that soak in a bit and and take in the perspective of that. We know this because in Acts 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas were in Pisidian Antioch, Antioch in what is now uh, Turkey, roughly in the centre of Turkey. And they're preaching and they quote from Isaiah 55 and they apply it to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles. So this is an amazing invitation on at least two counts. Isaiah has a vision of Israel exiled in Babylon for 70 years. He knows some of them will spend their whole life there. He predicted they'll put down roots, they'll buy property and develop commercial interests and become prosperous and secure. And God inspires him to put this thought into his readers' minds for the sake of those who would read this prophecy hundreds of years later. Does all this really satisfy you? Is this what you're living for? Is captivity in a foreign land what I meant when I promised my faithful love to David? Is this all there is to my everlasting covenant with you? The obvious implied answer is no. And second, God extends this amazing invitation with its wonderful promises to David out to those that have no connection with David whatsoever, other than the fact that, like David, they come to believe in the living God. They have faith. The more I read Isaiah 55, the more astounded I am at the extent of God's extraordinary generosity. This chapter is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Look closely at how so grace, God so graciously extends the invitation with a promise to everyone. God's amazing invitation comes with a promise. 
Look from the second part of verse 3 through to verse 5. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. That's the new covenant. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the Gentiles. I make him a leader among the nations, the Gentiles. You also will command nations you do not know, Gentiles. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, Gentiles. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. He's speaking to the people of Israel about their servant Messiah, saying nations are going to flock to you guys. When they hear this news, they're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be so excited by it, they'll overwhelm you. They'll rush in. And I have made this covenant to David not just to you. And you can imagine Isaiah's audience, when they're, when they're first hearing this, they're shaking their heads saying, how can this be? This, this, this doesn't seem right. How can the Gentiles share in these things? The promises are to us, to God's people. So God's gracious promise to bring Israel back to her homeland backed by a new covenant, will spill over in so much blessing to the Gentiles when he fulfills it. So Romans 9, 10 and 11 talk about the image of an olive tree, a natural olive tree, and the Gentiles get grafted in. Believing Gentiles get grafted in with believing Jews into the natural olive tree. So wild, the wild olive gets grafted in to the same rootstock and bears the same fruit. Listen to the words of Jesus at the Jewish festival of tabernacles. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. I think he might have had Isaiah 55 in mind. Or what about... The end of Revelation 22, the last book, the last chapter of the Bible. Listen to what it says in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. So Isaiah 55, all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They aren't just for believing Israelites. They're for anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, who is God's own son. All who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. As Isaiah says elsewhere, for to us a son is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. But think about it. Those who are satisfied with this world 
probably aren't thirsty for this kind of promise. If you're happy with your bank account, happy with your superannuation, happy with your job, happy with the fact you've got a caravan and a boat and you can go on holidays and enjoy life, you can travel overseas. This promise is for those who deeply within themselves know they are thirsty people. They recognise a spiritual thirst deep inside of them that these other things cannot satisfy. Do you have an uneasiness about your soul? About what's inside of you? That when you stand before God on that last day, that day of judgement, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? That if you try and say, well, I've tried to live a good life, also he will bring up, yes, you might have done a few good things, well, what about these other things? Ooh, I was hoping you wouldn't mention those. Who among us has clean hands and a pure heart to please God? Who among us can stand before God and say, you should receive me because I'm good enough, Lord. No, it's those who recognise deep in themselves their thirst. There's something missing. They need this water. And it's not that kind of water in my water bottle. It's the living water. They aren't happy with just having a boat or a caravan or having sufficient in their bank account and their super. They aren't happy with just living life as we know it. They recognise there's got to be more. There must be more. And if there isn't more, if this life is all there is, what is going to satisfy me deep inside? Now listen to Acts 13.48. After Paul and Barnabas preached, quoting Isaiah 55 to this mixed Jewish-Gentile audience, when the Gentiles heard this, that's about Christ being a light for the Gentiles and bringing salvation to the ends of the earth, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. Are you thirsty like that? In your heart of hearts, do you know that you fail God's test? The test of faith and hope and love? The test of obedience? That life is more than what you can produce of your own resources? Then come to Christ. Come to the Lord Jesus. He is the fountain opened. He is the rock that flows with living water. He is the fulfilment of Isaiah's promise. He is the only way that anyone, Jew or Gentile, can get right with God. Unless you give ear to this and come to Jesus 
and you may that you might receive mercy and life and love and hope, then you will perish eternally. Don't go on trying to satisfy yourself with what cannot satisfy you. Come without money and you will receive the true riches without cost, is what he's saying. Because the price has been paid on that cross at Calvary by my servant who was born for Jew and for Gentile. Unless you come to Christ and seek his pardon on the basis of his blood shed on the cross, there can be no pardon. Instead of that great final day of judgment, instead on that great final day of judgment, you will have to face the righteous one who knows the secrets of your heart and you will have no advocate, no mediator, no one to plead for mercy on your behalf. You'll have no one to stand up for you and say, I suffered for this one and was buried and rose again. They're ransomed, they're mine. You're mine, my daughter. You're mine, my son. Unless you open the door of your life to Jesus Christ, knocking, you will never get to eat with him and he with you in glory. There can be no fellowship, no acceptance, no everlasting joy or hope in his presence until you face the fact that your offending before God has created a deep thirst in you because these other things do not satisfy. And the only way they can be dealt with is the way that God has appointed through his son who died for your pardon. If you scoff at the offer of Christ and reject his words, then hear this from his mouth. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But if you will not come to me that you might have life, then depart from me, for I do not know you. You who despise the blood of my covenant and go your own way. To reject God's amazing invitation or to disbelieve his gracious promise or to start rely on your own faithfulness and your own way of trying to please God is to cut yourself off from living water, from life, the true riches of eternal pardon and of fellowship with God. Look at verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon so Isaiah now reveals a stupendous act of God, what we now know as the incarnation, the word come down from heaven. God's invitation, amazing invitation, backed by his promise, the sure covenant to David, 
is made effective by his word coming down from heaven. Look at verses 8 to 13. They picture the work of God's powerful word from heaven based on this reality. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Elsewhere, the prophet Jeremiah famously said, if you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If we think and live contrary to God and his ways, we are as certain to lose out as if we tried to line up on foot against the winner of the Melbourne Cup. It's just not going to happen. Even with all the wisdom of the Bible available to us, the ways of God are so often mysterious to us. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Why, why did he allow my father to die in a car accident in 2003? I, I don't know. Hit by a truck who ran a red light. Why were our daughter's twins born premature at 23 weeks, struggling to breathe before they died in 2010? I, do, I don't know. I can't give an answer to that. What is the logic behind Robin's esophageal cancer, especially during a vacancy? I, I, I can't give an answer to that. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But apart from the cross of Christ, so many things don't make sense to us. But in the light of the cross, they start to, we start to see a hidden wisdom, a higher way, God's ways. The hymn, There is a green hill far away, points us to the higher wisdom of God. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us. He hung and suffered there. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Isaiah pictures the true message of Christmas with an illustration from nature. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, we've had a bit of rain this week, and it's, it's come down. And it says, as that rain that comes down from heaven, and it doesn't return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, myrtle will grow. 
This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Blessings will overflow because my word came down like the rain comes down and creates blessing. So in his great wisdom, God designed the physical world to be like one big finger pointing us to God, to the only place where, we, where our hearts can find peace and lasting satisfaction and rest in our creator God and his servant son, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven. Just as the rain this week came down from heaven to water the earth so that veggies grow, give us food, grass grows for the cows to give us milk, grain grows for the baker to make bread and stock our supermarket shelves, so God's word came down from heaven 2,000 years ago, clothed in human flesh. He lived a life of love and faithful obedience to God. He died and was buried in our place and he rose again that we might have everlasting life instead of everlasting death. Isaiah 55 is an amazing invitation. There's no tricks like my grandfather played on me. This amazing invitation is backed by God's own word of promise, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. If we come to the Lord thirsty, confessing our sins and our need of him, he will receive us. That's what we're told. If we've broken the law and we recognise our guilt and we come to him, we understand here is one who died, the innocent for the guilty, that I might have life. This is God's higher logic his ways higher than our ways, where we condemn people. God justifies the repentant. Our faith has to be in Jesus Christ because only in him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He suffered at the hands of wicked men and died in Adam's place, that by his death the sons and daughters of Adam, like you and like me, might have life, be welcomed home as sons and daughters of the living God. This is the good news of the gospel, spoken about by Isaiah, pictured by Isaiah, confirmed to us by the apostles, who are eyewitnesses of Jesus' majestic death and resurrection. Are you thirsty for love, acceptance and forgiveness? then stop looking for it in all the wrong places. Come to Christ, who was born to die for sinners like you and me. Even a little child can know this. Give up trusting in your own faithfulness and honesty and integrity. It's not... None of us have the integrity we think we have. None of us have the degree of honesty we think we might have. 
We're being deceived. We'll never be good enough to please God. Here is God's gracious offer of pardon and peace and lasting joy. Come to Christ, the word that came down from heaven. He's calling you. And his spirit is striving with you to hear these things now and act on them. Not just listen three times, but come five times. Open your heart now because there is a day coming when Christ will not be found. It is certain that at death, at your death, after that comes judgment. The only way to life is to change your mind and your heart before the Lord now and come. If you lack faith, cry out to him, trust him, for it is a free gift of his grace. Whatever you do, come to the Lord Jesus in faith and your thirst will be quenched. It can be quenched today in a moment, in, in an instant, if you say, yes, Lord, I believe this message of hope and faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for a wretch like me, for a failure like me, for a thirsty person like me. I'm thirsty, Lord. I'm guilty. I'm a lawbreaker. I come to you now. Quench my thirst with what truly satisfies. Your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness offered to me through Jesus. I come, Lord, because you've invited me to come. Not because I'm worthy. I come just as I am. And I claim your promise that you will receive me for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us today about your great love displayed in Jesus Christ and his cross. We are in dire need of you. And apart from you and your grace, we can do nothing to save ourselves. All we can ever do under our own steam is mask our need and amuse ourselves to death with the trinkets of this life. Show us that your ways are higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That your thoughts exceed our earthbound thinking to a much deeper, higher and greater extent than we've realised until now. Lord, we're utterly dependent on you for love, acceptance, lasting forgiveness. Please awaken us now to our real thirst and need that we might come to Jesus for redeeming love, eternal acceptance and pardoning forgiveness. Lord, if any here do not know you, Please make the light of your great salvation dawn in their hearts today as we pray. As we sing our closing song, 
as they think about the words over a meal and fellowship. Bring the words back to them during the week. Haunt them, Lord, until they come. And for those of us who know these things, turn us to worship you afresh, to say thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.